All right, 1 Samuel 21. This is found in your pew Bibles on page 232. 232, 1 Samuel 21. Can you bring the lights up just a little bit for me? We'll be reading from uh, 21 verse 10 through 22 verse 5. So when we last left David, you may remember, he had quite a few journeys that Randy Bursma told you about last week. And he is fleeing from Saul. Saul is on him. Saul wants to kill him. Uh, David has nowhere to go. And so this is where we pick it up. Uh, 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. David rose and fled that day from Saul. He went to King Achish of Gath. The servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be mad when in their presence. He scratched marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to play the madmen in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? The answer is no. David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was distressed and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Those who were with him numbered about 400. David went from there to Mizpez of Moab. He said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come to you until I know what God will do for me. He left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Leave and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest of Hereth. This is the word of the Lord. David is desperate. He's desperate. He is running from Saul, and he is looking for some safe haven. There has to be some place for him to go. He is starving. He is exhausted. And he is so desperate, he realizes that there's no place in Israel that can take him in. So he thinks, I'm going to go to Gath. Gath, you remember, was the hometown of whom? Goliath, yes. Gath is a city in Philistine territory. It is the enemy city. He thinks, if there's any place I can go where Saul isn't going to get me, it's enemy territory. And he probably had this plan. He was thinking... Kings hired mercenaries to defend their borders, and they liked people with weapon skills, and he had that. So he thought, I can just slip into town, I can join the mercenary fighting force for the king of Gath, and I can catch my breath. Soldiers are paid pretty well, and I can eat, and I can sleep, and I'll be safe. And so he goes to Gath. And you can imagine him 
making his way to Gath, working the trails from one city to the next, thinking all the time, I'm almost there, I'm gonna make it, they're gonna feed me, I'm gonna be able to sleep, it's gonna be great, I just need to get hired on, I just need to slip into the city. And then somehow, someone recognizes him. We don't know exactly how this happened, since this is a day before CNN, before the New York Times, before images were plastered over everywhere. It had been a long time since he killed that giant, a long time since people had seen the little boy with a sling, and yet somebody recognized him. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't this that David guy, the king of the land? Isn't this the one they sang the little song about? David's gonna... Isn't, isn't that, is this the guy? I think this is the guy. And he is just exhausted. He's like, oh, man. I, I've just fled from one king, and I've gone right into danger. And so what does he do? He pretends to be crazy, which is a brilliant strategy. In fact, people who teach self-defense will tell you that if you're out in a situation and you think someone is stalking you, um, it's not a bad idea to act a little crazy. Like get out on the ground and like eat grass and moo and the person will leave you alone. Right? Because they're like, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want any of that. And it was even more so back in this day because people thought that anyone who acted insane was doing so because of some weird connection with the supernatural. Either they were extra in touch with God or they were extra in touch with a demon, but in either case, you wanted to stay far away from them. So when David starts scratching at the city gates and lets his drool run down his beard, they're like, okay, all right, okay. And so Keisha's like, seriously? Seriously, I don't have enough crazy people in my kingdom. You got to bring me an extra guy who says he's David. He's all like loony bits. I don't think so. No. Out. So David's gone. And he flees to a cave. A cave. David. The one anointed as a boy. David, the one who killed the giant. David, the one who sings songs for the king. David, the one who's best friends with Jonathan. David, who had it all. David ends up in a cave. And scholars believe that the cave was somewhere between the land of Israel and the land of Philistia. He was in no man's land. He was in between. He was lost. He was in a cave. He was alone. Stomach growling, exhausted. He hears the noise and he thinks, oh no, Saul's found me. Oh no, Akisha's found me. He's alone in the cave. And all those things that had happened to him, all those high moments in his life, they must have just seemed hollow and distant. He's alone in a cave. No one else around. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Bible study booklet that we're using, he points out that while First and Second Samuel tell us what was going on on the outside of David's life, it's the Psalms that tell us what was going on inside David's life. And there's one psalm that he wrote during this season of his life. 
at least one. Psalm 142. If you want to follow along, it's on page 505. Psalm 142. Page 505. You can hear the distress. You can hear the desperation. You can hear the loneliness. With my voice, I cry to the Lord. With my voice, I make supplication to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit is faint, you know the way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look on my right hand and see there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for me. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Save me from my persecutors, for they are too strong to me. Bring me out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. And we're told that this is a mascal of David when he was in the cave. He says, look at my right hand, verse 4, and see. It's because if you had something to help you, it would be in your right hand. It's a metaphor that says, even my right hand is empty. I've got nothing. No one cares for me. Give heed for me because I am brought low. Give heed to me because I am brought low. Amy Hearsbank's father died this weekend. He's a, one of our students and a graduate of Calvin Christian in Granville. And her dad had pancreatic cancer for three months. And she has been brought low. Dan McElerney lost his father two weeks ago. Very suddenly. And he's brought low. David DeHere, whom some of you had as a professor and I knew as a friend, died too soon, too suddenly. And we as a campus are brought low. Some of you have parents who are in very serious health crises and you are far away from them. And they're the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning and they're the last thing you think about when you go to bed at night. And you are desperate for God to help. You are desperate for God to step in. You feel like you are in a cave. For some of you, you're battling mental health issues. And you're trying the different medications and you're working with a therapist and all you think is, God, get me out of this prison. Just break me out of this prison. Set me free. Others of us have incredible anxiety about our futures. We're looking ahead and people keep asking, you know, what are you majoring in? And we say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be when I grow up. I don't know what I'm supposed to major in. It's all very overwhelming, and I feel like if I make a decision wrong, it's going to affect the rest of my life, and I'm paralyzed. I feel like I'm just in a cave. We know what it's like to be desperate, and we know what it's like to be alone, and some of us know very well what it's like to feel like no one cares for us. 
Some of us are fifth-year seniors, and all of our friends have graduated, and we're plugging away, and we're trying to be faithful, and all their Facebook posts are about all the cool things they're doing all over the world, and we're here. And we think, I'm so lonely, but it seems really silly to say I'm really lonely as a fifth-year senior in a place where I've lived for five years. And some of us are new to this place, and we're still trying to figure out friendships and who to hang out with. And Some of us are in caves of our own making where we keep hanging out with the people who lead us astray. And when it's late at night, we continue to make poor choices. And we really want to be set free. We know what it's like to be brought low and to cry out, God, give heed to my cry. Give heed to my cry. David has done what God wanted him to do along the way. He has been faithful, he has been obedient, and he is in a cave. Some of us have done what God has wanted us to do. We've made good choices. We've done our right things. We've been the good kids. And we're in a cave. That is hard space. David cries out to God to help. And then do you know what happens? His family hears about him. Now, this probably took a while. He had to find somebody that he could trust who could take a message to his family and tell them that he was in the cave without telling the Philistines and without telling Saul. So who knows how long David was in the cave until maybe his cousin came by with a flock of sheep and he was able to tell her. And she was able to get the message back, but then he didn't know, like... But imagine for him, sitting in the mouth of the cave. And then he hears a voice echo off the canyon wall. And the first thought is, "Uh uh-oh, they found me. But then he listens to the voices and he hears that these are the voices of his brothers. And he thinks, yes, they found me. And the voices of the brothers get louder and louder and they get closer to him and they embrace him. And being true brothers, they embrace him with a big hug and say, you smell, you've been in a cave. But they bring him food, and they bring him companionship, and somebody starts a fire, and they roast a lamb, and for the first time in a long time, David feels safe. David feels like he could sleep again. David feels like maybe there's a little bit of hope. And then do you notice who comes? Did you notice who else came along? The writer tells us that everybody who was in distress and everybody who was in debt and everybody who was discontented, they all came along too. And since it was everybody who was in debt, we would all be there. (laughs) 400 people all gathered. Now, did David need this? Did he need this like social work project here? Did he need these people? All these reject, misfits, social outcasts, did he need these people coming? And it was like setting up a little brewery counseling center in the cave of Adullam. Like, really, does he need to do this? 
Is this how he needed to spend his time? Yes. Because David was a reject, social, outcast, crazy, misfit. And these were his people. These people came to David not so that David could help them, although he did. They came to David because they knew that David would identify with them. These people understood that suffering people understand suffering people. Oh, you were kicked out of your family? Yeah, me too. Come on over here. Sit down. Oh, you're, you're trying to flee from a situation where someone's trying to kill you? Yeah, we have a small group over here for that. Right here. <laughs> These were people who knew that if they went to this place, there would be other people who would understand suffering. And David understood suffering. Read Psalm 142 again. He understood what this was about. He understood what it was like to be rejected. And so he is here with his people, his crazy, wonderful, misfit people and his family, which basically, let's say, all the same thing. And this is what gives him a little hope. Did you see what he said to the king of Moab? Why, no, you say we missed that part. Take a look at what he says to the king of Moab. This is 22, verse 3. David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. He said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come to you until I know what God will do for me. Until I know what God will do for me. What does that assume? God's going to do something. God's going to do something. I don't know what it is. It could get messy. I want my parents safe. You watch over them. I'm going to wait and see what God's going to do for me because God is up to something. When the community gathers around David, he is restored. He is reminded of the big picture of God. He's reminded that God is up to something big and that gives him the courage to act and go to the king of Moab and say, God's going to do something. I don't know what it is, but I want to be ready when he does. It's the community of crazy people that gives David insight into the care of God. It's the community of crazy people that gives us insight into the care of God. Because there may be some things we do not have here at Calvin College, like they have football. <laughs> but what we do have here at Calvin College is a big community of crazy people. Yes. Can I get a witness? Yes. Yes. We have 4,000 crazy students and we have 700 and something faculty and staff who are also crazy. We are crazy people here. We are crazy. All right? Some of us actually scratch on the gates and have the drool spitting down, you know, usually like mid-December, that kind of hits. Um, <laughs> we move into that kind of crazy space. But we actually do have people here who know suffering. 
We actually do have a lot of people here who know suffering. And it's very tempting when we're alone in our little caves to think that there's nobody who's going to understand my cave. No one who's going to know what this is like. But the truth is, there are people probably right here in this room who understand your cave. You have an eating disorder? We have people who understand that. You were sexually abused? We have people who understand that. Your parents are divorcing? We have people who know that. You're drinking too much and you're scared that you're becoming an alcoholic? Yep. We've got people who can walk you through that. Struggling with pornography? Yeah. Unsure about your faith? Yep. One of the temptations the enemy is going to throw at you is to try and convince you that you are all alone and you need to stay in your cave. And what you should not do is reach out to community. What you should not do is tell anybody else that you need help. What you need to do is stay in your cave. But the truth of the matter is that it is in community that God gives us hope. And when you have the courage to say, I'm struggling with my sexual orientation, is there someone else I could talk to? Suddenly you gain a conversation partner, you gain someone else who wants to live their life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and can help you. One of our big crazy things as a community here at Calvin is that we are all hyper-competent. We all take like 17 credit hours and we're triple majors and we're orientation leaders and we're doing dance guild and by the way, we're on a varsity sport and we give food to the food bank. (laughs) And in that context, it's really hard to say, I'm failing calculus. I'm having a fight with my parents. My roommate and I aren't getting along. Because we present to everybody like, how are you doing? Great. Oh, it's great. I'm great. I'm great. Until we get to the weekend and we sleep for like 16 hours because we haven't done so great all week. Can I get a witness? (laughs) So we perpetuate this lie of hyper-competence and overachieving and God just wants us to be still. And know that there is a God and it's not us. And it's an old, old lie from the enemy that says you can be like God. So don't ask for help. Don't admit your weakness. Don't confess your sin. You can be like God. when you're all alone in the cave, that's a hard voice to turn off. Which is why God not only brings community to the cave, but he also doesn't let David stay there. Did you notice this? 
The prophet Gad, this is the first time he shows up, by the way, he becomes a significant character later. The prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, leave and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest of Hereth. Now why did he have to leave? Because if he had stayed in the cave, Saul would have killed him. Because that's the next place Saul went. That's where he was heading. So God comes in and says, you can't stay in the cave, it will kill you. You have to get out. And one of the things that we love about having so many crazy people here at Calvin College is because we know how to get you out of your caves. We know how to deal with crazy people. We bring you to Jesus. When Paul and I were reading this text a few weeks ago to plan for the service and think about ideas, we read that everybody who was in distress and everybody who was in debt and everybody who was discontented came to David. And Paul laughed and he said, that sounds like a church plant. <laughs> and doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like church? And I said, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus. So Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics. He cured them. And great clouds followed Jesus from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Because when people are broken and hurting and crazy and desperate and stuck in a cave, they need Jesus. And Jesus comes in and he doesn't just come into the cave and decorate the cave and help you sit up a room in the cave. He gets you out of the cave. Because Jesus knows what it's like to spend time in a cave. Three days. We say in our creed that Jesus descended into hell. And he didn't just descend into hell to go and see what it was like. Jesus descended into hell to take people out of hell. He descended into hell to conquer hell. So that these things that keep us in our caves no longer have any power. Jesus takes us out of hell and into the lightness. He takes us out of darkness and into where it is bright. He takes us from being alone and miserable and desperate and scared, and he puts us in community with people who know what it's like to be crazy. And with people who know what it's like to be crazy about Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers us victory over the things that keep us in the cave. And this isn't just a Band-Aid sermon, like, oh, you've got a giant wound. Let me just slap a little Jesus Band-Aid on it. When you're dealing with spiritual things, progress takes a lot of time. You didn't get where you are overnight, and you won't get out of the cave overnight. But you can move toward the light. Measure your progress in months, or even in years. 
But know that if you respond to the invitation that Jesus extends to come up and get out of the cave and get into community, that you have life in abundance. This week is going to be confession week here at Calvin. In our Bible studies, we'll be looking at Psalm 51, which is the psalm that David wrote after he had an affair with Bathsheba and he killed off her husband. And he was convicted to the core by what he had done. He was incredibly ashamed. And he wrote, creating me a clean heart, O God. And he writes this line that we just kind of pass over as, wash me with hyssop, which is like saying, pour battery acid on my soul, God. Just get all the garbage out. Clean out all the garbage. And that's what we want to have happen here this week. There are things that we keep in our caves that keep us in darkness and keep us in sin. And it's time to get rid of them. For some of you, it's the razor you use to cut yourself or the laxatives you take to manage your weight. Others of you have pornography stored on your computer. You have alcohol hidden in your room. It's time. For some of you, it's the trinkets from old relationships. And every time you look at it, you have that weird, bittersweet, well, I remember the good times, but man, it ended so badly, it's time to get rid of it. Maybe what you need to do is just take time and write out a letter to God confessing your stuff. And there are gonna be dumpsters on campus this week. There's one by the dorms and one by KE and one right in the commons lawn. Or if you've got garbage that keeps you in the cave, throw it away. Throw it away. This is not a reduce, reuse, recycle moment. This is throw it away. We've been talking about this on my staff for a while, and I've been looking at my own life to think about what, what garbage do I have? And, and the Spirit's been working on me to say, well, you've got this thing. That, that doesn't remind you of good th- times in your life. And every time you look at it, you think oh, about how crappy you felt. Why would you keep that? Good point, Holy Spirit. <laughs> you, you're watching this television program, and every time you watch it, it turns you towards cynicism, and it makes you angry, and it makes you frustrated at the government. Why would you keep watching that program? Because it's funny. There are things that kind of keep me like cave, not cave, cave, not cave, cave, not cave. And the small Holy Spirit's like, would you stop it? (laughs) Would you get out of the cave and go to Jesus? Do you not think that Jesus has everything to offer you and more than the little trinkets you keep back in the cave? Do you not think that Jesus is worthy of your trust, Mary Halst? And I have to say, I do. We do. We have to say together as community, Jesus is worthy of our trust.
and we don't need this garbage anymore. We're going to trust that whatever we leave behind in our quest for the cross, God will honor that and more. Because we have seen what he's done in the life of our brother David. How even in the middle of a cave, he brings him a bunch of crazy people who love on him and remind him of hope. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And you're invited, if you want, to come forward and kneel at the cross. You're invited to pray right where you are. Otherwise, there will be uh, pairs of prayer servants in the back. And if you want to go up and confess something or ask for prayer about something or ask for prayer on behalf of another, just go forward. And then when you leave tonight, you're going to get a card that explains Confession Week. And if you need a time to sit with somebody and just get some stuff off your chest, there are all these times when people are going to be available to meet with you, sometimes in different dorms, sometimes in the chapel basement. And the dumpsters are available 24-7. Let's trust that when we come to Jesus, everything we need will be found right there. Can you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for your mercy. That you do not abandon us in our sin. That you do not leave us in our caves. But that you respond when we cry out to be lifted up, you respond and you surround us with community of crazy people who can lead us into health and wholeness and by leading us to Jesus. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight that as, as we think of the things in our lives that need to be confessed, as we think of the places in our lives where we need help, that Holy Spirit, you will give us courage, courage to say, I need help. Courage to say I'm not going to make it. Courage to say that I have this sin in my life and I need to get rid of it. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross where all of our sins are nailed to it and washed away and you remember them no more. And so we pray that as we move into confession week that you will clean up our hearts and renew right spirits within us. Oh, God, help us to come to Jesus, to come to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and in whose name we pray. Amen.